Hey everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, and where we are bringing you all things tabletop oriented. Tonight, the first thing we are going to talk about is Monster Mayhem. We are bringing you our favorite monsters, some unorthodox monsters, and even some different things that we think are just kind of cool about them, or monsters that we feel need a little bit more love out there. So we're going to be talking, and while some of this stuff is related to D&D or specific systems of D&D, we're really hoping that we can bring to you some content that even if you don't play one of those games, you can incorporate this monster into your tabletop game or one of the ideas into that. So without too much ado, um, I am one of your hosts, Dylan Olney. I run the crafting channel Critical Crafting. And with me tonight, I have, as usual, my co-hosts Cameron and Small One. Small One, if you want to introduce yourself quick. Hey guys, this is Christian Only. I am uh, Dylan's younger brother. However, I am larger than him, but he still refers to me as small one as he still believes that I am eight years old, I believe. Uh, I go more, six and a half. Six and a half. Well, <laughs> I, I am an, uh, an Ohio State student, and I'm currently home for the summer now. Got done with finals. And I guess the big thing that I bring to the table is just 10 years of player experience playing different role-playing games. Awesome. Cameron, how are you? Hey, what's up? This is Cameron with Critical Crafting and Table Talk Podcast. I'm the newer of the group, and I've been playing now for just about a little over three years now. First time ever doing anything like this, and started with playing, quickly got the urge to try DMing, and now I have a little bit of experience on both sides of the screen. Awesome. So we're going to jump in as usual. We sort of have an open format tonight. We're going to try and tackle three topics all related to monsters. First of them being what is our favorite monster, you know, that we've ever run or encountered and why. The second one that we're going to be tackling is something along the lines of how we have used monsters in an unorthodox manner. And the third one being a way that we, my brain just blanked. Uh, what a monster you think deserves more love. Thank you, yes. Passion. That, see, that's the one that I was most excited about, and I forgot it. So monsters <laughs> that you think that you think needs more love in the game. I'm a bit frazzled because my mic was, was screwing up some of my stuff, and I've lost a lot of my notes, so i got to pull those up real quick. So I'm going to let both of you guys start us out while I jump in and pull a few things up here. So starting off, first question, the favorite monster that you've run... Uh, or encountered and why what do we got what do we got to share uh, that people can learn from or or hear some cool stories about why don't you start us off small one all right so i guess my favorite monster that i've encountered has to be a gelatinous cube i know it's been probably one of the more popular monsters nowadays especially it was featured in the movie onward and i think that definitely brought people to kind of at least get a glimpse of it that maybe aren't familiar with it, if, if you don't know. But a gelatinous cube is normally a giant creature that is normally a translucent see-through, and it normally is in an encounter in which the, uh, let's say, the adventurers are kind of, I guess, in a trapped area in which the gelatinous cube is coming at them, or they're, they bump into it and actually fall into the cube. But I love this, this monster just because 
it's like a, a gentle giant. And it's a terrifying gentle giant because it doesn't, it's not intelligent. It's not scary in that way. It's just all, I guess, uh, I, I just love the fact that it's, it's not evil per se. It's just so incredibly stupid that it has one job to do. And that's to, let's say, go down this hallway. So for example, I know in, in Dylan's campaign, he used a gelatinous cube to be a janitor of sorts. This literally was just to clean like a hallway with all the dirt. And that's its main job. And we got in its way and its duty. And it was just an amazing monster to encounter because you don't expect something like that at all. And it was kind of switched to a to a new light in which I, I never really think of a, you know, the my favorite monster normally you think of a monster that is incredibly scary or incredibly diverse in this other way but i just love the idea of a gentle giant who literally is just a janitor <laughs> well and the one that i'm remembering that you encountered was actually almost a pet to like a goblin that had been cursed by a mummy to forever you know patrol the tomb and keep it clean and so he had his name was lemon and then he had this cleaner that was the gelatinous cube which i think you guys found kind of funny but at the same time, terrifying because, you know, you encounter this thing and it's coming at you and you're all freaking out and everything. And then this little goblin guy, after you survive, pops his head and he's like, what are you, what are you doing with my gelatinous cube, you guys? Like, what's going on over here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, again, like the biggest thing with that was just that it, it wasn't, I guess, outright a creature that was trying to harm us. It was more of a monster that just was trying to fulfill a certain duty that it was given. And we just happened to be in its way. And I think I love that idea. Right. I love that. And that can be taken super far. You know, we're talking about doing a, an NPC, like favorite NPCs kind of thing. And, and some topic that might kind of relate to that is when you are encountering a quote unquote villain or obstacle that's just doing their job and, you know, what your party does about that. And gelatinous cubes are a little different. You know, they're, they're not really intelligent creatures, but it's cool that something that is so kind of, I mean, if we think about it, this is a giant piece of jello but it's made a it's made an impact on you you know when you're playing the game so that's that's pretty sweet uh cameron how about you um so for mine i i thought about this one a lot because i in in the three years we've been playing now or that i've been playing now we've encountered so many cool different things but i think my own personal favorite was actually one that i ran against the party about halfway through the campaign that I ran, the party found themselves um, chasing after a relic. And in doing so, they were in the kind of way down deep in the tombs of underneath of a temple, of a, almost a forgotten temple. And coming across this, this creature that I don't know if any of them even really recognized because it was something a little lesser known, perhaps. But um, it was an inevitable, um, specifically a, a Collierette version of the inevitable. And for those of you that don't know, because I didn't know, I, this wasn't something where I think a lot of monsters in D&D &D are kind of well-known more, even if you haven't played before. So for instance, like if you've watched Stranger Things, you know like what the Demigorgon is and just knowing like history stuff or mythology stuff, you would know what a Medusa is, even if you've never played D&D, &D, things like that. But so this was something that I had no clue what it was. I, I found it in my research for prepping the game and... The Kalirut is uh, a creature that's just completely like a lawful construct. All their kind of sole purpose is, is for them to uh, uphold justice and make sure people follow the law. And 
kind of reinforce expectations. And so in the campaign, the party entered into this this old dwarven temple and found a steps leading down into the like the the depths underneath of it. And they found going into it, there was a gigantic mural on the wall and written in Dwarven, which one of the party members was able to translate for everybody, was some sort of a poem and something along the lines of enter not unless you unless you pledge to not take anything not belonging to you, something along those lines. And so the party all agreed to this pledge. And as they did so, they felt like a kind of like a slight energy run over them. So then as they went down into the thing, then they found all sorts of loot that I intentionally left out. And obviously what any adventurer is going to do, they start helping themselves to all this gold and items and things like that. But in doing so, unbeknownst to them, they were then breaking the pledge that they had given. And so when they finally encountered the room where the relic was, this kind of almost mechanical looking structure that they thought was a statue just kind of woke up and looked at them and explained that they were... They had broken the law or whatever, and and it was on him to now to deal with them. And so that led to a really cool boss battle. And so that was just a lot of fun to kind of play out and kind of show, especially I'm sure Dylan, knowing how he's all knowing with all of this, he probably knew what this thing was. But for the most part, I don't think a lot of the party did. And yeah, so the and then just kind of a, not to to run on too long here, but a, a cool kind of follow-up to it then was that the party did this really awesome thing where they they were able to kind of trick him and bypass a lot of the, the encounter with him and then seal him off inside of the tomb. And so my first instinct was that I was kind of bummed that there was a lot of really cool abilities he didn't get to do, but I ended up bringing him back six months later in the game, or in, in real life, um, what amounted to six months of time, and he became almost like a recurring villain then. And um, so they finally took him on about six months later. And then it was kind of a cool reveal when, because uh, for those of you that don't know, the Collierettes, one of their, some of the lore behind them is that when they are going after Oathbreakers, they have the ability to kind of um, shapeshift. And so they can take on a different appearance so they can get closer to kind of study their prey. They're meticulous at how they, they ho- see who they're tracking and they learn as much as they can about them so that they can be prepared to deliver just a really swift kill. And so, the unbeknownst to the party, the, there was actually two other times where they crossed paths with this thing, but because <laughs> of how they handled the situation, it never escalated to the combat breaking out. And so, they finally then came across him again on the other side of the, the, the continent, and it, while they were there, he actually appeared to them as the big bad evil guy. And so, the party was super stoked, thinking, we're finally going to have a chance to take this guy on and have him outnumbered. And so suspiciously as they were fighting the what they thought was the big bad evil guy he wasn't doing a lot of the same abilities they had kind of gotten accustomed to him doing and he he, when he was attacking them it wasn't nearly as strong as when they'd encountered him previously and so when they finally delivered the killing blow to him and they were super excited thinking they might have just ended the campaign and won and then the body slowly starts to shift back to the colony rut form and they realize that they had been um, attacked by someone posing as the big bad evil guy. And so that was kind of a cool little close to that little, that story or whatever. So. So you're telling me he was literally like Cartman saying like, respect my authority. I am the law. <laughs> he, he literally is the law though. Like that's what they are. I am the law. And I'm sure that's what, and I'm very sure that's what TSR and Wizards of the Coast based him off of too. That's right. Oh yeah, <laughs> definitely. They they really should have credited 
really it, for the credit of that. It's not a <laughs> collet rot, it's a Cartman rot. Uh, <laughs> but but actually, that's really interesting. And like when you can use, you know, everybody has at some point runs into a murder hobo character or a character who, you know, does something you're like, oh man, like there really should be repercussions for this. And something that maybe it's not a cholera, maybe it's not, you know, a, an inevitable being that's bent on lawful justice, but maybe you can have, you know, a, a lawbringer in whatever game you're playing and they're running around trying to stop the party who they see as these evil people because they did, you know, they stole from a shopkeeper or whatever. And that's pretty cool. Like that can be a recurring character. And as we were talking about this and Cameron, when you were talking about him kind of coming back, the thing that like if I'm thinking of monsters that I've run the most, I like monsters that I can run over and over again. And not just, you know, common monsters that I can like drop in all the time, but I like recurring characters because it lets me sort of build on them where I can drop them in once and maybe they run away or maybe they die and come back to life, but I build them every single time. So one of the, you know, characters that I've run, and and this one's kind of a, a trope or classic, is a Mind Flayer. But I didn't want to run just any, you know, a Lithid Mind Flayer. I wanted to run someone who they were going to come back, they were going to be unique to the the whole Mind Flayer thing. So I made a Necromancer Mind Flayer, and the whole idea being that when he died, he would either be cloned or, you know, resurrected as a lich or whatever. So I invented someone called Quill Xander, and he is kind of a mini-boss in that when he's been encountered by the players, now we're on the second time, but he's not super powerful. It's just that he's involved with a lot of stuff. So while he's not a character that is really super hard to defeat when they encounter him in a, in a fight... He is incredibly smart. He has a ton of information and he keeps coming back with the idea that he knows more and more every time and he's working with people who he's seen the party beat. So he was working with a, a creature that I also loved called the Dark Fathom, which was a boss in my campaign. And well, the party defeated him. Well, they find out later, now he's working with Delabor, which is an associate of the first boss that they fought. So he's kind of like the secondary character that keeps popping up. And one of the reasons I really like a Mind Flayer for that is because they have incredibly dangerous abilities. And they're they're squishy, right? They're like, they're mages. And you can kind of crush them pretty fast. But some of the stuff that they have in some different editions of the game, and if you're not playing the one that has it, you can think about adding in your own, is stuff like Plane Shift, where they can literally take someone and put them onto another plane of existence. Which we just ended our camp or our, our session on a cliffhanger where this guy had plane shifted one of the guys who'd been playing this game for three years with the same character onto another plane of existence, and boom, end of the session, big cliffhanger. Like that was super cool for me as a DM. And I think the other characters that I've really enjoyed running are those recurring characters. You know, my my bosses, my villains. Linodoc, who was an insane druid, the Dark Fathom, which was basically an otherworldly demon that was super powerful. Kaldul, who was a, a man turned into a dragon, and he, you know, keeps coming back. Like, I love monsters. My favorite monsters to run are monsters that have a great backstory and that have just as much development and thought put into them as a player. Because if you're gonna have, you know, for me as a DM. I, I like, you know, running someone that has a little bit of oomph to them, not just, okay, here's some more goblins that throw some stuff at you, and here's some more orcs or, you know, whatever. I want someone who I can kind of role play through and, and get my fix out of, too. So 
for me, my my favorite villains or my I guess my favorite monsters have always been my bosses or my mini bosses. Yeah, I like it. And I think that's just something that helps kind of tie everything together really well as a player that when we're going through and we're just continuously coming across just kind of the like the commonalities and the the even if it's say for instance if it, in the your example maybe it wasn't the the same exact mind flayer but or the illithid but it's an associate of his and so we kind of start to maybe get the feeling that there's something bigger going on behind the scenes that we don't know about yeah and i think that's like a cool way that you can use monsters and what we've kind of talked about you know cameron you had okay this was a monster that i love this ability so that's super cool abilities and I think that's one reason to love a monster. And then, you know, that kind of led me to talk about, okay, like, well, how do you reuse them? How do you, like, build them into a campaign? And that's another reason to use a monster is if you put enough time into, you know, looking up its stats and researching it and what are its abilities and that, like, you want to reuse it. And then, you know, small one talking about, well, how was it on the player end? Like, was it memorable, you know? You didn't talk about the big bad villains. You talked about the gelatinous cube that cleaned the hallways. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know... <laughs> And and what made that meaningful and different for you? So I think that's pretty cool. And I think that kind of segues us into, you know, the, the unorthodox spin on a classic monster. So I don't know that necessarily saying a gelatinous cube that roams the hallways is too unorthodox, because that's kind of what they're meant to do is clean up organic matter and that. But, you know, I, I think at one point you used a small one as like a little personal cleaning tool, or I, I'm not really sure on that. <laughs> small one had a small one. <laughs> and, and so that's where I think we can segue a little bit into like the unorthodox monsters we use. And one, that it's okay to do that. And then two, some examples from what we've done and why we think it's cool to do it. So to start here, in my uh, 5B campaign at Play in Columbus, they actually had a, a couple different goblins that were actually highly intelligent servants to the big bad evil guy and they're almost like butlers like it was such an like a complete twist on what you normally think of goblins being like dirty and stupid and kind of just like hobble around in like packs like th this was like a, a couple different goblins that were highly intelligent very polite and they were just downright evil but in a completely other way it was like <laughs> lawful evil compared Instead to what chaotic. you normally think of yeah and it was just amazing how you take a creature that you automatically assume is going to be this certain stereotype and they just completely change it on its head. And you can do that with tons of different monsters. But I think also something to consider is how you can take a monster and you can change it into a pet or a companion, an NPC companion that helps the group out later on if the players interact with it in a certain way. So then you can have that monster reoccur, but it reoccurs in a totally different aspect and actually can help the group. So, for example, um, I had a donkey that, although not like a <laughs> normal monster, I think I might have talked about this, but it, her name was Daisy the donkey, all right? And she was attacked by a giant shark mutant person. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's, let's set the record straight. No, she, no, no. she, in the middle of combat, when he was doing she's nothing to her, attacked. she spit in the face <laughs> of a were shark who was raging at the party. 
And then when she died, Small looked at me like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she was brutally attacked. <laughs> brutally for... murdered. Guys, let's, no, let's call all... it what it was. She was drawing the aggro so that the party could get away. It's <laughs> actually true. That's kind of... <laughs> but I was able to, I spent like, you know, a certain amount of money or I went on a certain different side quest. I don't remember which, but I was able to get Daisy like pretty much resurrected as a zombie. And she helped the group out as a zombie pack mule <laughs> and was never ever intended for that. And I know you had to actually like make up like, you know, use a zombie template on normal donkey in order to even create it. Like it was totally off of the ledge, but it was taking a classic animal or a monster like a donkey or you would think of like a bear or anything like that. And you can make it something completely different as like a pet or an NPC or something that can contribute to the party. And it was so cool too. Cause like the, just being the, the player that's not really involved in that and just sitting there watching it off to, to the side. Like it was, it was funny because over the, the months of us playing, Christian's character had just gotten so close to this this donkey that he had kind of rescued or whatever. And so there was there was like as as funny as the situation was, there was legitimate like emotional attachment there. <laughs> and so that's why it was just like it was it was funny, but at the same time it was heartfelt to just see that like like cause you and I don't know, like in I just remember like watching it go down in the middle of the combat and just picturing like Christian's character just like with tears in his eyes and like the donkey <laughs> looking back at him with its eyes wide and saying like gallop you fools and then it just kind of, <laughs> kind of spits at the shark to like draw the aggro and that's that's what got us like just enough time to get out of the water so that we could escape this thing and so you know I've I said know. it was really cool the greatest the 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 most epic NPC deaths or the greatest sacrifices by any any NPC or player character has to go down with Glub Glub and Daisy the dog. <laughs> oh, I think I, I am, I'm going to stick by this. I don't care if you think all these other player characters that people have played, whether it's, you know, Throck or all these other people that sacrificed their life. Like, yeah, like those player characters were great. But let's be honest, the donkey is where everything started and ended. And she is the real MVP. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> I know, mic drop. Daisy, Daisy, Daisy. I understand, but Glub Glub was around for a length of three sessions before he was killed by magic missile. <laughs> but I don't Glub know how I feel about that. Glub Glub was the immovable, like the giant flesh ball that you created as a like monster, a literally, so, literally just to like stop us from like being in a certain area, if I remember right. So okay, so this is this is how this all went down. Uh, was there when I was building my the one boss I was talking about the Dark Fathom? He was meant to be this ancient elder like demon and all this. And I said, well, the party is only like level four. They really can't take on an ancient you know demon guy. Just watch us. <laughs> yeah. So I said, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write it into the story so that this demon god he's died in the past and now he's being like resurrected. So. When they're venturing through his quote-unquote plane of existence, they're actually inside his dead body going to find his, like, smaller new regenerated one. Well, this whole process had then made these weird, like, necrotic beings that were inside of it and still kind of alive but kind of dead. And I basically used the gibbering mouther 
uh, and then took some stats and tweaked them and evolved it a little bit to be more powerful. My thought being, okay, you know, we got this bard here um, who's in the party and he's going to run around and do all this music stuff. Well, that's hard to do when there's a gibbering mouth and you got to close your ears or the thing's going to drive you insane. Well, they run into this room and there's a bunch of these gibbering mouthers and they kill off a couple of them. There's quote unquote glub glub at that point unnamed. Uh, and, you know, small one decides that he is going to try and I don't even remember what it was you did. Um, I just wanted to tame him. Like, I wanted yeah, to, like, it, calm him down. It was, it was like, I, I want to try and, like, you know, do diplomacy or, you know, calm him down, whatever. And I'm like, okay, you know, cool. Well, he rolls in that 20. And I know, you know, <laughs> d- different games you're playing, and some people are like, well, you know, that's only good for attacks, or, you know, that even if he succeeds, that only means this, which is fine. But the way that I try and run it, I'm like, if you're rolling that 20, it's going to be awesome. If you're rolling that one, it's going to be awful. So <laughs> I made it awesome. And so the, the creature, which then ended up being named glub glub i mean like ran over and like licked him was like best friends and like oh my gosh you know well so then small one becomes super attached to this guy over like three sessions right before (laughs) right before the big boss fight they like walk into the big boss room and all these forest fields go up there's people you know demons everywhere all this stuff and his only concern is the fact that glub glub draws the aggro (laughs) round one and gets murdered actually that's like a now that I'm thinking about it, that's it's a trend. A theme, yeah. <laughs> it keeps it's happening. I mean, uh, you figured out my my secret, Dylan, is that I, just, I just like to befriend. Casting. I like to befriend <laughs> a bunch of different uh, monsters and NPCs, and then they just happen to draw the aggro away from me. You, you trick me into thinking you feel about them, <laughs> so that I'll yeah, I'm just murder them. <laughs> but Glub Glub wasn't Glub Glub like. 10 by 10 feet like he was huge right he was oh massive. yeah so like, yeah. he was, was the most immobile pet you could possibly have <laughs> but so it was almost like we go into this boss fight and all of a sudden christian's character just sends this like 10 foot by 10 foot large like <laughs> testicle rolling into this room and start getting blasted by these magic missiles <laughs> it was a sight to behold <laughs> We'll post a we'll post a link in the show notes to what Glub Glub looks like because you guys will not believe. What <laughs> yeah, this you gotta is. see him. He's actually he is on like the wall of fallen heroes too, mm-hmm. which yeah. we, we, we died have, a hero's death. We we have like side note: any like hero that dies in our campaign, we take their mini and we stick them up on a wall, like on a shelf of the fallen heroes. And we also do the same thing with bosses that are killed; their stat blocks get like nailed to the wall. Mm-hmm. So. Glub Glub is up there with all of the like people who were there for like two years. <laughs> After well, I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember he. Uh, I think it was one of our one of our uh, players actually like wasn't there for a session, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to put Glub Glub ahead of his like just fallen <laughs> player character he's played with for two years, and so. I don't think he noticed for a while. No, you but moved I literally him. You moved, moved him, him off. You moved him off yeah, the wall. Yeah, I moved of him off of the wall of heroes, and I put Glob Glob at the top, like the most prominent position on like a throne, pretty much. <laughs> but boy, when he realized, was he triggered? <laughs> he was oh, so yeah. mad though. Oh, when he yeah. found out, he was so mad. That Glob Glob taking his place. So, so, getting us back on topic a little bit here, other or unorthodox uses of things. I was thinking about the gelatinous cube. And one thing I did, and you can call me evil as a DM, was... Evil. I, I Yeah. Uh, I realized that for my party, the perception check to detect a gelatinous cube was too low because they were obviously going to detect it. So I decided to make it a little bit more difficult. And I made 
a bridge, like a rope bridge over a, a canyon that they could cross. Well, on that rope bridge was an invisible gelatinous cube that had flight. So that if someone ran... Because why not? Because I could. <laughs> so if, if someone tried to cross the bridge, they would walk into the gelatinous cube. It would jump off of the bridge and fall into the canyon using its flight ability to take no damage. And then the party would have to figure out, okay, how the heck do we get this person? And while if you look at it, you're like, oh, dude, that's so awful. It made for a super long and interesting encounter of what do we do? How do we get the guy out? Like all this stuff. All just because I took an existing monster and I was like, how can I use that in a way that is a little bit more tricky or effective as a DM? And I don't just do that. Like, you know, I, I like to use monsters in interesting ways. Like, you know, I have orcs that aren't evil and they have a gang that's okay. Okay. It's a criminal gang. <laughs> but, you know, what what, I, what can I say? But they're still like accepted in society. They can go around and, and they sort of offer protection for people and like fencing and that. And then, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I have Old Chap Ettercap, which is extremely kind of ridiculous. This Ettercap that has a whole shop in his top hat. He runs around selling goods and that kind of a thing. So I love using monsters in an unorthodox way. And the reason that I love doing that is because it keeps the party on their toes. Where if every time they see a troll, they're like, oh no, it's a troll. We got to murder that thing kind of a deal. I look at it and I'm like, well, okay. If I present them with a troll who, say, owns a bar or a troll that is friendly or good or whatever, well, the next time they go and try and, you know, murder a troll the first time they see it, they're going to think twice. And I really like that because I don't like having a... And some people like absolute morality in their games, and that's fine. Maybe you're running a system where that's a thing. But I think it's cool to have, you know, a little bit of a thing where your your players can think a little or guess a little or be like, I don't know that we really should do this. And I think that's a cool way to use characters. It keeps you on the toes. Right. Well, it's cool, too, because you were like in all those instances, you're like subverting stereotypes where we would we might immediately see a troll and be ready to pull our swords out and then find out she's just a nice innkeeper that can actually help us. And so if we if we pull our guns too quick and pull the trigger on her, all of a sudden now we might have just lost out on a potential ally. So it's really cool. It makes you kind of have to learn to kind of like not just jump or not act too quickly or hastily or whatever and evaluate the situation. Right. And I think I mentioned before when I was talking to, you know, some of our earlier podcasts about I was talking with someone about an evil character. I'm like, well, you know, then the party goes and they talk with them. I'm like, why would they do that? They look evil, like they're awful. And I was like, well, my party would talk to them because I've just set up that expectation of you can never really know whether something is evil or not. And I love that. You know, I think some people love the the more classic. Oh, it's an orc. Let's kill it. You know, it's evil. But I think it's cool to subvert expectation, and I think that's a really cool way to use a monster in an unorthodox kind of a way. Maybe you have a dragon that's an innkeeper, you know, or a dwarf that's a gardener, or an elf that's a drunk. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but sub- subverting expectation, I think, is really fun, and I think it makes, you know, nobody remembers the the dwarf bartender, right? But everyone is going to notice your, you know, like gnome barbarian fighter who's scrapping for a fight every you know step of the way and he's standing three feet below the goliath in the party but he still wants to punch him in the nads kind of a deal (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool so i guess um as far as 
looking at something that may be a little unorthodox, something that kind of came to my mind was also from my last campaign where that I ran in a similar situation where the party was at another kind of boss fight type of thing and were tracking down a, a separate relic. They had found themselves in Dalkur, the plane of dreams, and they were chasing after the the relic of illusion from the campaign. There was a relic that corresponded with each of the schools of magic. And so that's what they were trying to obtain before the enemy could. And while they were there, as I was looking into just some different spells and stuff that kind of go along with the school of illusion, one of the things that I kind of like kept coming across and monsters that would go with that were shadows. And so as I got looking at it, uh, for the shadows, they didn't really seem to be too much of like a of like a threat level to the party by then at being like level seven or eight or whatever it was. And so I wanted to find a way to kind of take that idea, but also reskin it a little bit. And so what I ended up doing was the party entered into this, this kind of like a temple. And as they did, so lights started flashing behind them, almost like a strobe light quicker and quicker. And as the lights were getting brighter and brighter, they noticed their shadows elongating across the room and then just kind of pool together. And out of these shadows, these like like shadowed versions of themselves rose up into the ground and so now all of a sudden the party found themselves fighting themselves the shadowed versions of themselves and so what ended up being cool then was i i looked at the stat blocks for the the shadow or the greater shadow and found different things that i wanted to like skin into basically clones of the party members and so like the shadows are incorporeal and so i gave that ability to the the clones and the fact that like the the ranger of our party talion when he was fighting his shadow version which we aptly named shallion and um as he was fighting shallion then he would shoot an arrow at the party and it would explode into like a semi-circle of darkness that would deal damage to the surrounding people and so in the the case of Delvos's character, when when he was when they were facing against Shelvos, he would launch a fireball, which is one of Delvos's kind of like spells of choice. But it was a, a shadowed version that dealt different types of damage and stuff. And so I I reskinned it. With Did my character try to like seduce people? Then I'm confused. You were actually <laughs> away for school at the time and weren't there for that session. I was so glad you weren't there. I was so <laughs> it's a, a shadow that just like comes up to you. <laughs> There's gonna be some really weird action going on. <laughs> I didn't want any part of that. That's amazing. Player on player action. Yours, yours was the actually the kind of the tipping point because since you joined your your character got there by way they were physically in the plane of dreams. You traveled there through sleeping, and so you were incorporeal yourself. And so you were like the odd one out that didn't have a shadow version then. And so that kind of helped tip the scales towards the party by having a way to outnumber the the enemy or whatever. But And you were like naked and seducing all of the shadows. <laughs> Just making everybody on both sides uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> if you would have given me a shadow companion, I would have tried to seduce the shadow companion to be on our side. It I'd say that would have been the know, first thing that happened. And that would have just been a new NPC to have to travel with the party. So. <laughs> Two Irwins? That's just, oh, I don't That's think the much. world could have handled it. For me, one of the most memorable things of that encounter, though, was the like the mechanics of it. So it one of the one of the other things that I really wanted to incorporate into the fight was that because the shadows were were clones of the party members, in my mind, they should have some sort of an upper hand when fighting them. And so the way that I mechanically worked that in was that if, say, Dylan's character tried to attack the, his shadow version of himself, 
when the shadow was being attacked by the person they were the clone of, they got a plus four bonus to their AC because they, they were just, they knew the fighting style of their person and they knew what to expect. And so, so for the first part of the fight then is they're trying to attack themselves and they're realizing that attacks that normally should hit aren't hitting. Then they kind of, it started dawning on them a little bit that they had to start kind of tactically saying, all right, I'll take on your version. You fight that one so he can fight mine and just kind of, like thinking that it's everything. So that was kind of cool. And like I said, it was, it was kind of a different take because it, it wasn't really using the monster itself unorthodoxly, but it was by kind of taking and creating my own template based off of the monster to then apply to something else. That fight made me feel like a warlock, but instead of smashing Eldritch Blast, I was smashing a magic missile at everybody. Absolutely. They were just flying all <laughs> over the place and he was launching them right back. So it was awkward for everyone involved. Actually, it was an awesome session. That was something, it was, it was super cool. Uh, and when we like figured it out, we we're like, you know, cause Cameron did a great job of like describing them slowly, not right away. Like, and that guy looks like you. <laughs> it was like, oh, you know, he's holding like a very ornate bow and he's firing these, you know, dark arrows at you. We're like, huh, that, why does that sound familiar? And the next thing is like, Oh, and you know, he has like such such this styled cloak and this is what his face looks like. And we start putting it together like, holy crap, we're like we're fighting shadow versions of ourselves. And that's when we're all like, Oh no, our inner demons. This is not gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> but it was awesome. And I think that was a really cool way, like you took the shadow monster and then you just kind of reskinned it a little bit. And I think that anybody, you know, no matter what system you play, if you're playing Call of Cthulhu, if you're playing Pathfinder. You know, if you're playing any tabletop game, like Frostgrave, a war game, whatever, if you find a monster from another game and you're like, oh, these abilities are so cool, don't be afraid to reskin it and steal some of those and drop them into your game, you know, using the different rules and that kind of a thing, because that can make for a really interesting monster. And that's what can be really cool, too, because, like, in our case, as we've explained, a lot of us are, are this is our first time ever playing this, but Dylan's been playing for years and Christian's been playing for years and Will's been playing for years. So at a certain point in time, it's it can maybe lose a little bit of its kind of magic when you're you're facing off against something that your character's never seen, but you as the player know exactly what the thing is, what type of abilities and resistances it has and everything. So when you can borrow something from a different system or a different edition and then kind of tweak it a little bit to bring it into your game, that's just such a perfect way to combat metagaming. And I love it because you're right. Even, you know, as much as I try not to metagame, I will see an inevitable and I'm like, I know what that is. I know what it's going to do. And I'm like, okay, but my character does it, but my character does it, but my character does it. And then this little voice in the back of my head is like, but he had intelligence score of 26. He might know. <laughs> Fireball. <laughs> Fireball. So. Uh, but but I love that. Like when you throw something that, you know, the idea of an unorthodox monster or a homebrew monster or something where we take something and we just tweak it enough where you're like, okay, yeah, I know what that is. And maybe you see a troll and you're like, eh, I, I'm going to use fireball or I'm going to hit, like, hit it with a torch. And it's like, oh, actually, that just made it stronger or the troll's on fire. And now he's dealing fire, you know, he's dealing fire damage now. And the party's like, the what? You know? Like, that's really cool. And I think, you know, some people are like, oh, that's being such like a mean DM. But the thing is, it's not. You're you're giving your players something new and interesting and fun. And that's the whole surprise. point of being. Yeah, surprise. <laughs> and that's the point of being a DM. 
And I think that's a good a good segue here into our last topic, which is monsters that we think need more love, either for their abilities or for ways that we can tweak them or use them or just like fun stories that we have. And we're like, that thing was awesome. Let's give it a shout out. Well, to start here, something that I think we've we haven't really used at all very much now in the campaign, but it used to be a much larger section, at least, was the pseudo dragon. And it's a, it's a normal uh, creature that is in a lot of different role-playing games, but it's a very underrated, or it's a, a, a creature that is not really used to its full potential. Because it's normally, a pseudo-dragon is just a creature that's a, a very small dragon who often is in, much more intelligent and is normally telepathic and can communicate with the players just speaking you know, in, in all different types of tongues. Very intelligent. Very, very small, though, and very not menacing. And so a lot of times people don't use this monster, I feel like, just because it looks or it seems like it couldn't be used for the normal type of encounters or campaigns or fights because it's, it's just a small little dragon. So people don't think much of it. But I really think that it's a creature who, if used correctly, could be a really good you know, BBEG main villain if you were able to kind of tweak it or change it based on whatever system or whatever game you're playing, put in a similar creature that is doesn't look menacing, but is extremely intelligent, is able to, has high charisma, is able to persuade people of many different things, and kind of like sits, I guess, below the surface of the parties, uh, I guess, gaze or anything, is able to. I guess, uh, kind of like change the system or the surroundings and kind of be the, uh, the real villain, but it's not, it, it's a, it's a creature that could sit on the sidelines of the battles and be, be controlling lots of different creatures and not really be in the immediate eyesight of the players and seem very not menacing, but could actually be really one of the most powerful. And, uh, I guess I just really like the idea of a creature that doesn't seem extremely evil and it's kind of a twist of a villain whereas maybe the pseudo dragon was actually like like with them the entire time or you know they've already met the big bad evil guy and they didn't realize it it's just a it's a twist on a, a creature that could be i guess really cool and i know in 5e like an evil perry the platypus yeah in some <laughs> editions i know in 5e the intelligence is like really low but I think again, like based on how you want to play it, you can make you know the the intelligence as a, as a DM make the intelligence really high for this one pseudo dragon. Make him a genius. Make him able to do these other things. Because I, I think that's just uh, something that you can do to just reskin or uh, make a you know a cute but very deadly monster. I like that because again, we're talking about subverting expectation. Where you know, when people are thinking, "Oh, you know, the the big bad evil guy, that the person who's perpetrating all the things happening in this kingdom," or you know, if you're playing, let's say you're playing a sci-fi game or in this you know galaxy or whatever, and you're like, "Oh, it's got to be this big giant person or this you know huge crime syndicate or whatever." But when you make it like Baby Yoda. Or, you know, this little pseudo-dragon or Babu Freak or whatever, where it's this tiny little, your Jar Jar Binks character becomes your your big bad evil guy. Like, that can actually be kind of fun. And, and maybe you, you know, drop subtle hints or whatever. 
But I like the idea of having a character that you don't suspect that seems unassuming or that's been very helpful and kind of cute and friendly, but been dropping subtle hints the whole time, like that this is something more than it seems. And I think that kind of controls the other the other characters or it it plots, it, it sets up the action in a way it's just able to kind of change this the entire atmosphere environment to its its advantage. So sort of like a, a like a mind flare with a bunch of umber hulks or like, you know, zombified people at their beck and call. Like they can sit back at home or maybe you have your pseudo dragon. He's sitting in his little like pseudo dragon nest or throne or whatever. He's got like a little little baby sized throne that he's sitting on. Like, yes, <laughs> excellent. You know, people. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe then to be disappointing when the party finally finds like the big baddies, this little pseudo dragon dude. But you know, you can make a cool encounter where he's got all these big bodyguards, or maybe he's seductive and seduces the party instead of the other way around. Something. <laughs> well, there's just a lot you can do with it, and that's what I love. Yeah, and I right, and I think monsters that you can do a lot with do deserve more love. So intelligent monsters, for sure, you can do a lot with those. Cameron, what are what are some that you know you think? What's some monsters maybe that are Maybe not lesser known, but maybe something that you've used in the past or just really like using. So I I also thought about this one quite a bit, trying to figure out what I thought would be a good one for this. And I kind of settled on, I I would probably say Kuotoa, just because I kind of have a soft spot for them. Uh, the very first time that I ever DM'd, I, it was uh, just, I think, like a two-episode one-shot for to help fill in for Dylan for something. And the, the party found themselves on an island in the middle of the sea as they were traveling from one continent to the other between campaigns. And as they got shipwrecked there and had to start dealing with that, they came across the Kuatoa that they're... And individually, they're really, really weak. They're kind of the, the fish people or whatever. And But just the fact that that means they're kind of like red shirts i guess in a way so like the they're just perfect to kind of throw at the party they're they're really not that strong but when you suddenly throw several of them in at a time they just they just with some of the different abilities that they have they can like just really kind of wreck stuff up and so it was just fun to taking a, a weaker one and being able just to use multiples of them to really try and escalate the threat or whatever and so yeah i like the kuatoa yeah, they're super cool. And with like their sticky shields too, they can yes. like grab player weapons. And that was, and that was so fun tactically too when, because like meta wise, like Dylan and Christian probably knew what these guys were, but the rest of the party didn't. And so when the when the tanky character runs in and just attacks at this thing and suddenly loses his weapon and now he's <laughs> surrounded by three of them with no, with no sword or spear or whatever. And it just really kind of was a new type of combat we hadn't as a party seen before. And that was really cool. And one step further into it was the fact that they were also being kind of like led by a, a lone mind flayer illithid. And so just to kind of go with kind of like the aquatic setting of that or whatever, just giving them kind of like a, just kind of like a, a probably historically not very smart monster race, but just something that was just used for its bulk numbers rather than some of the other strengths that other things could have given it. Yeah. I love that. And I'm actually going to go like the opposite of small one Christian who was talking about, you know, an intelligent character that, you know, pseudo dragons will, they can be smart and be these little masterminds. They need more love. I'm going to look more at the unintelligent characters because I feel like so often we use them as grunts and that's fine. 
But things like, you know, zombies and skeletons, and I'm a sucker for, I mean, Hail Vecna, sucker for the undead, all that. (laughs) But like one of my favorites of all time is the Cadaver Collector. I think this monster needs all the love. I believe they just put it in a 5e, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. I know I've seen some homebrew stuff for it. But the whole deal with this thing is its entire purpose as as, as a construct, and it runs around or lumbers around and takes dead people off the battlefield and sticks them onto its back or its spikes or whatever. It's just covered in spines. And I don't know that, like, the the main reason I was attracted to this monster, and I think it should get more love, is all the art for it I see is horrifyingly awesome. And I love, you know, when I see cool monster art. It just really makes it stand out for me, and I'll show it to the players sometimes, and I think that makes it stand out to them. But the other thing is, it's the only monster I've ever gotten my dad to play D&D with me with. <laughs> um, and, and there was there was a time, I can't, it was some holiday, so I don't remember if it was eggnog or whatever was involved. But essentially, I was like, <laughs> you know, dad, like, you know, let's play some D&D. And, and so, you know, okay, cool. Well, I didn't, you know, we didn't have time to make characters and, and this sort of thing. And so I said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I would I would highly suggest this for people just to find cool monsters even, was... Everybody who's going to play, pick a random number between, and I gave them the numbers of pages in the monster manual that had monsters in them. And they picked a number, and it was, okay, that is the character that you play. And my dad played a two-mote, which is a tiny little undead thing that can basically do almost nothing. And small one played a cadaver collector, which was this massive just force of destruction when it wanted to be with like paralyzing gas and trampling and all this fun stuff. And it was just super cool for me to one, run a campaign that was all monster or uh, a session that was all monsters. But I just love the idea of this thing where it has one job. And as a DM, you can kind of tweak it. We're like, okay, it could be collecting corpses off the battlefield. It could be completely insane at this point and murdering everything it sees. It could be creating battlefields so that it has something to collect. Like it's, it's got one duty, like, programmed constructs undead that kind of a thing everyone thinks of it as just a simple thing but you can give it a ton of character and that's something that i love like how did it how did it get this way if you're running an undead like why is it undead who made it you know where did this come from what could you make it not undead again like uh, you know how does this all work kind of a thing so i love that one of my favorite undead i run and I, i'm gonna run fast here is the the grave dirt golem mainly because the thing is like impervious to all magic and I was running a campaign of all magic users. And I think that <laughs> monsters that should get more love are ones that you can throw at parties and, and they feel like, oh my gosh, this thing's unstoppable. And then they realize, well, it's because we were attacking it the wrong way. So, you know, if you have a monster that it's got almost an impervious AC, well, if you were just to attack it with magic, you would have been fine. Or, oh my gosh, we can't hit this thing with any spells. What you have to do is chuck a rock at it, you guys. And, you know, it's Goli- David and Goliath kind of a thing where it's just attacking it in the right way. And I think that any monster like that, you know, Grave Dirt Golem, um, Legion Devils that combine a lot of their strength, a lot of these, you know, monsters that have different abilities that make them impervious to different types of party members are super fun to add in. So that's that's kind of my bit um, on monsters that should get more love. We're running a little over on this episode. I think it's because we just have a lot of of great feelings about monsters that we've run, uh, that we've encountered, that we want to see more of. This could be something that we talk about again and again, I think, just because there's always more content for it. 
Yeah, and I would be interested to hear some of the listeners' um, answers to these questions too, because it, it. I mean, how cool would it be for to hear of monsters that that maybe we're not very familiar with and look into it, and it all of a sudden an idea clicks of how we could use it too. So, I love yeah. everyone inspiring everyone else. Absolutely. Especially different systems, whatever it is, still throw yeah. it at us because you never know. Sure. Absolutely. So, and if you have suggestions, we'd love to see them in the comments. We'll post any, you know, if we find links to different monsters or additions or that kind of a thing that we're like, hey, you know, check this thing out. It's pretty sweet. Or even books. I mean, I've read all different editions of, of books on different monsters and even some that are, you know, system agnostic. We'll share some of those in the description. Maybe we'll talk about those a little bit later. But for now, we're going to go into our sign off for the evening. Uh, so we'll start up with small one if you have a sign up for the night. Oh, of course I do. <laughs> so uh, I would like to start with Daisy the donkey. She was quite a mount. She is the real MVP by my account. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that was good. I really liked that. That was, that was really good. Uh, all right, Cameron, what you got? Yeah, thanks everyone for joining us in the mayhem. And I would leave you with these words of sage advice that always remember the dice giveth, but the dice also taketh away. <laughs> That's great. So I will end with, I, I'm not going to rhyme tonight, which is new for me, but I'm going to say Ooh. if, <laughs> I mean, I can try. Let he didn't see. come up with it beforehand. That's right. I didn't. Know your sign-offs. That's right. <laughs> So if your player thinks he's going to die, just tell him to spit a donkey in the were shark's eye. <laughs> there you go. And you know what? You know what? I came up with that on the fly. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining in, everybody. You know, like, subscribe, all that jazz. Tell us about things that you like. Uh, even monsters you don't like. We're here to hear it all. We love you guys, and we will see you next time here on Table Talk. Adios. Gallop, you fools. Fireball. Fireball. Table Talk's theme music, Rhino's Theme is brought to you by Kevin McLeod under the Creative Commons license. Please see the show notes for more details.